Boy, I just uh, feel like we just ought to pause and just thank the Lord in the privacy of your own heart. Just take a few moments before we even get started and just thank Him. All that was there in that song, you ought to be thanked for. Just take some time right now where you're at just to bow your head and if you choose to, to thank the Lord. Lord, I don't know how we could adequately thank you for what you've done. But Lord, just as a group this evening, we just want to bow down in in our own hearts and recognize that the truth that is in that song we're so thankful for, and that isn't over, that you continue to be there. Lord, you continue to guide. And Lord, I pray that if this evening um, would just be a little bit different because you met with us and because we were open for you to meet with us and because we were willing, even before we heard what you have to say to us as individuals, Lord, we are all ready, as best as we could sense, we are all ready to hear and to be obedient to what you would have for us tonight. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for all you've done for us. We give you the praise for it. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Trio. Thank you, Preacher, for allowing that to happen. That is such a special song to me. And as far as I'm concerned, you ought to sing that every time I come back here, to be honest with you, where you at? I'm serious, that's just, please, um, it's awesome. So, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the interns. Would you like that first, here this evening? Which do you want to hear about first, Noah or Josh, whichever one you want, we'll do both. Um, they're both good young men, and uh, they represent a lot of good young men and women. Uh, they represent young men and women like from Canaan. Um, I'd like to say we did this in Noah's life, Hartland did this in Noah's life, Hartland did this in Josh's life, but really they come from some good families and they come from some good churches. And your church supports, like their churches, Hartland Baptist Bible College, so that young men and ladies like theirs and like you've seen before can come and to grow and go through that special time of their life from 18 to 22 when their mind is wide open and allow them to have an opportunity to learn and to see what God's plan is for their life. That's what's happening. And now as an intern church, you now are able to be even a part of that, a greater extension than just uh, sending financial support. Now you're being a part of it. They will learn from you. They will learn how to do church. They will learn how to serve from you. They will learn how to be faithful. They will hear stories like, you've been doing this for 30 years, and you go to work Monday through Friday, they will learn. They will learn from the two men that gave testimonies tonight. They will learn, and they need to learn. Your church has been a big supporting church from the time that Pastor Ingram came, Pastor Ingram came on board. He just had that heart and that desire to be a part of not just training young people from Canaan, but from all over the country so that you can reap those benefits, and you do through your missions program as you take on Heartland graduates as missionaries and church planters and such like that. You, you reap that benefit. You really do. So I want to thank you for your prayer support and your financial support. It's huge. We, we appreciate it. We couldn't do it without all of that. We really couldn't. Um, a student can come to Heartland Baptist Bible College, and for about $8,600 a year, he or she can find themselves educated for a whole year. That's their room, board, and tuition and fees. It's amazing. That isn't a semester. That's a year. Uh, that is just about at the 50% mark of what it takes to educate them, to run the college 
It's going to take well over $5 million this year. And through there, paying that $8,600 and church support like yours, they will only pay half of what it costs to educate them. That means that every student is getting nearly a 50% scholarship just for coming to the college, regardless of their academics, regardless of their financial need. Every student, that's what your church does on a regular basis through your monthly support and your participation in the May offering. Every student graduates completely debt-free of student loans. That means that when they go to a college, go to a church that maybe is a small church, a struggling church, somewhere, wherever it might be, um, that, that can't afford a full-time staff person, but a Heartland student doesn't have the heap of debt upon him. And you are a part of that. And you will reap those eternal rewards because that goes on before you as you help others. Um, because God's work is much bigger than just Canyon Baptist Church. Can I get an Amen. It's much bigger than that. And, but God wants his churches to come together. Together, each of us achieve much more. And he wants that. And so you're a big part of it. You have been since 2018, I think it was, in December, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? 14. Boy, it goes back further than that. 2014, you've been a big part of it. And now as being a church that has interns, you're going to become more ingrained with them. And um, I'm, I'm thrilled that both of these young men, in, in some ways, um, discussions with pastor would... Would, uh, I, I love that the, I have a part in that, but the, they are special young men. I can remember Noah was asked, and he doesn't want me to say this, and Josh won't like what I'm about to say about him, but when Noah was asked to sing on a singing group, he auditioned, and, and he definitely has the, the ability, the gift to sing, like his own dad did and, uh, when he was at Heartland. And uh, Noah was asked to be on a singing group, and, you know, he declined. He just said, you know, I'm just not spiritually where I need to be, so let me work on that spiritual relationship before I put myself onto a group like that and get up here and sing like he's in that spiritual level, we would call that hypocritical. <laughs> so that young man recognized, no, nah, just not the right place for me to be right now. I think that's maturity. Wouldn't you agree on that? Josh Hainline comes from probably, I don't think I'm exaggerating at all, probably from the hardest working family I've ever seen in my life. It's incredible. His brothers and his sister... Um, are incredibly hardworking. They've all gone through um, Heartland. Josh recently was asked, we have RAs, resident assistants, in the dormitory rooms. We had to make some changes, unfortunately, in the latter part of a semester. Josh was an assistant RA, meaning he assisted the head RA. Had to make some changes within the RA status and remove the head RA. And when you do that, there's a lot of changes within the dormitory. Within the girls' dormitory life, that means a lot of drama. More drama than usual. When the girl in the guy's dormitory, it just means a lot of confusion. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. But we asked this young assistant RA, as an underclassman named Josh Hainline, to step up to the plate. And we said, we need you to hit a grand slam. We need to change and take on this extra role. And a couple days of prayer, he did it. And he finished it incredibly successful being put in that spot, I'd call it the hot seat in front of his own peers. So you have some pretty special ones. That's the last nice things I'm going to say about both of them. <laughs> They're also from Kansas. They have Kansas roots. Uh, Noah's dad ministers in Topeka. Josh's family is from uh, Kansas, both his mom and dad. Great people. I really mean this. Uh, Noah's dad is, if I could have a favorite, Noah's dad would be one of my favorite Heartland graduates from the way back time. He really is a wonderful young man preaching up in Topeka. And uh, Josh's mom and dad are good friends of mine now. They were missionaries in Kenya, so you have some wonderful guys here. But they are both from Kansas, so I would say that they're uh, Jayhawk fans. And since this is bulldog country, I think you all ought to indoctrinate them really heavy this summer. I think every time that they come over to your house for dinner, you ought to present with them some Georgia bulldog paraphernalia. And men, you ought to wear it every once in a while to be respectful to the people. And I think somebody ought to get a Georgia Bulldog, um, kind of like a toy, and then get a Jayhawk and stick the Jayhawk into the Bulldog's mouth. <laughs> Bulldogs eat Jayhawks. Can I get an amen on that? By the way, I'm a Bulldog fan. I've been loving the Bulldogs since the days of Herschel Walker. So um, congratulations, and I hope you don't blow it the second time around. But uh, there are a lot of good friends and a lot of good young men at Heartland and good young ladies, and they've come from this church as well.
So I do want to get started and, and um, thank you again, Brother Ingram. It's, it's special, special to preach here, to be here, um, to be treated like you treat us. But it is for us, the most special part of it is, is that we get to have some time with your pastor and his wife and the children. And so that is, um, has become one of our favorite little uh, benefits of coming down here, just to hang out with the Ingrams, because when we see them up at Heartland, we don't get time with them, because it's just absolutely crazy busy. And so I'm so thankful, looking forward to that as well. I've got a question for you, and we're going we're gonna to need some help here from the interns, and maybe even uh, Brother LeBee and Brother Cherry, you might have to help me on this too, so thanks for volunteering on that, or voluntold, whichever it is. Where's Brother Cherry? Yeah, there you go, good. Do you have what it takes to kill a giant? Or will your giant kill you? Do you have what it takes to kill your giant, your personal giant? Or is your giant going to kill you? The average church, and I'll say Canyon Baptist Church, and the average church needs more dedicated church members. Not only from the young people, but from all of the members. And tonight, I want to talk to you about a dedicated teenage boy, David, the the shepherd boy, who became a giant killer before our own eyes. So we're going to look at this teenager's time at these crossroads when he was yet still a teenager, but he came to some crossroads where he was either going to stay as a teenager or he was going to become a giant killer. We're going to get to see that part of his life. It's an awesome story. It's, it's one you're very familiar with, so we won't dive in and do much background, but it's one that is still yet, we are familiar with it, but it is still true and it is recorded in the Word of God for our learning. Yet it's been preached here, preached to you many other times, I'm confident, but it's one we can still learn from over and over again. Specifically, this story is about how God used, listen to this, a surrendered teenager and then developed him into a giant of a man in the eyes of God. And much is recorded in the word of God about this teenage boy who was developed into a giant of a man. Wow. So let's look at not necessarily the, the giant killer yet, but Let's look at the giant. We, we know this, and we're going to read some scripture here in just a moment. And I'd ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm looking across the crowd again. I'm, I'm just hoping TJ would come in, and I don't see him. And I don't know if I'd recognize him, so I don't think he's here. TJ, Carney, if you're here, raise your hand. I don't think he is. But he may come and visit sometime. Now he knows about Canaan, and he's down here getting some education, and maybe he'll pop in here. I know I'll... Reach out to him and try to encourage that that way. First Samuel chapter 17. I do want to say also for the uh, renovation of Art Wilson Hall, first floor, we're in the middle of it. Um, I'd ask you to pray for professional plumbing. That's the corporation, the guys that are doing a lot of the plumbing work. We, we're doing some plumbing work on the first floor of the renovation in the scheme of putting some cameras down through the pipes uh, they just discovered that there was a huge problem with pipes that were decaying, coming apart sewer lines um, from the boys' dormitory. The building was built in 1962, and so you can just imagine the material that they used back then. It has been decaying. And so through the course of advisement through them, um, we dug up all of the old sewer lines within the boys' dormitory. And $47,000 later... Unexpected. We didn't know that we were going to have to do that. Um, we're now at the completion of that part of the project till we can continue on. But in the course of that, professional plumbing hired their normal concrete crew to come in and basically fill in concrete where all those trenches were, were drilled and dug there in the dormitory, the pipelines all over the place. You can imagine that in a dormitory. And uh, the concrete man, he was a 69-year-old man, is a... Uh, brother to the man that owns professional plumbing. And uh, last Friday, a week ago, he suffered a heart attack at Art Wilson, and he died. 
And so be praying for all those. We've had young men working there, some of the part-time employees over the summertime, and of course our staff. And, and, uh, but it gave us an opportunity to minister to the men at Professional Plumbing. And, uh, but it was quite a shock. The young man was 69, the man was 69 years old, and his 24-year-old grandson was there with him, helping pour concrete. Saw his granddad just grab his heart, fall over. So be praying for that. Um, we think God, God can be glorified in that, but there's a great need, great opportunity for our staff, especially our maintenance and construction guys, to jump in there. So be praying for that as well. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm just going to look at, look at verses 4 through 8 right now. And there went out a champion, verse 4, out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's a tall man. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. You just let this start to paint this picture. Can you imagine how big that helmet was? And he was armed with a, a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. I mean, his whole coat weighed that much. And he had graves, greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. This guy was well protected. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. So someone carried his shield before him. And he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye are ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. Wow. I mean, there's this giant. Can you, Let's just picture the giant because I think we need to realize this, that we are in a culture that judges us on how we look. Can you imagine the, the army of Israel looking at this giant? Because we live in a culture that looks at the size of a man and looks at what our grades are to see if we're valuable, to, looks at our athletic abilities and we make assessments on how good of an athlete a man is to give him value. We look at what type of vehicle we drive to, to see if you're successful. We look at even who our friends are to decide whether we are of value or not. We judge in this culture that way. And then we notice a pattern with these things that they're all external things. All those that I just mentioned are all external and they are all temporary. Yep. See, what is cool today ends up becoming a big joke tomorrow. You see that happen as the Ultimate, God doesn't operate on the world system when he judges the value of somebody. He is concerned about what's inside of the person, not the external. He's concerned about the inside, your heart, your attitude, your response, your motives, your character. He goes much deeper than the world goes. He goes much deeper than the latest trend that you may or may not try to keep up with. He is after your heart. And he wants you to be after his heart. That's what God wants. So as we think about this and look at what the world looks at and look at what God looks at, we should now start to look at the giant. I mean, just picture this. He's, he was over 10 feet tall. He had a brass helmet. He had a coat of armor weighing 125 pounds, brass leg guards. He had this huge staff like a beam that weighed over 25 pounds with, his, with a spearhead that weighed over 25 pounds. A, a man helped him carry his shield. He was a giant. He, he must have been a real ugly guy. I've never seen a good-looking giant. Have you? <laughs> yeah. I, I, we don't have a giant here. I, I don't see any men that would be 10 feet tall. But I thought if Nathan could come up here and let Josh get on his shoulders, that'd be about 10 feet. So take off your jackets Nathan, you come down here. Josh, you come up here because I'm going to ask you, Brother Labee and uh, Brother Cherry, come on up here and let's make sure these guys don't fall over. But Nathan, come down. You can carry Josh, can't you? Amen. Thank you so much for that. 
volunteerism. Josh, come up here. Josh is a little bit lighter than Nathan. And you guys are going to help him. And I want you just to help, these, help Josh. get. Don't let him fall because we don't need any injuries, no lawsuits. You're not going to get a dime out of me. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and so help him. So Josh, just climb up on his shoulders. Help him. Don't let him fall. Yep. All right. Now walk a little bit. Nathan, can you walk a little bit? It's good. Now, that's about 10 feet tall. Josh, look at the crowd. I don't think that that's ugly. Josh is a sharp-looking young man. Can I get an amen? But think of ugly for a moment. Think of an ugly guy that tall. Think of the size of his helmet. I mean, that's, that's what everybody was facing. You know, walk up a little bit more up, up and down the aisle. I want them to see how big. Look at that ugly giant. Look at that hainline giant. Okay, walk back now. Turn around. Walk carefully. Oh, man, we're, oh, we're going to lose it here. Yeah, this, this is an ugly giant. Oh, it's Josh. Good. Okay, you can come off now, Josh. Be careful. Good job. Let's give them a big hand. I mean, he was, this giant was big. He was intimidating. I know that was funny, but this guy was really intimidating. A whole army has been listening to him for 40 days, just basically antagonizing them. So there's our look at the giant. Now let's look at the giant killer. Let's look at verse 12 real quick, and we'll read a few verses as we look at the giant killer. Look at verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three elder, eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. That's what Goliath did. Presented himself 40 days to this army. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take this pledge, and take their pledges. Now Saul and they, and all the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning, and left the sheep with the keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and he ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Let's take a look at this giant killer. 
First, we can see this David, this teenage boy, was obedient and consistent in routine things. He was doing exactly what his father told him to do, to stay there and to take care of the sheep and then to run to the family, to his brothers with food. David was consistent in obeying his father in routine things. David, the teenage boy, was willing to take instructions. He didn't comply outwardly but not inwardly. The boy complied inwardly as well as outwardly. David learned how to do the small things like they were big things. Then he was able to do the big things like they were small things. David, the teenage boy, takes the challenge even if it seems impossible. David took the challenge today, not tomorrow. He didn't say this, I'll do that tomorrow. He said, I'll do it today. David did more than is expected before it's even required of him. Let's take another look at the giant killer. David, the shepherd, the singer, the rock slinger, loved the Lord. He sang the ancient hymns of his forefathers. He tended to every sheep. He took his everyday duties serious. And then when he slung stones again and again, he could end up telling the stone exactly where to go because he practiced. He faced living enemies, a lamb feeding on rich green grass, the youth and a bear stopped halfway and whirled face to face, and he took the bear down. Instinctively, he reached into his pocket for a stone, and he suddenly realized, why am I afraid? And the bear charged him, and this young man carried a stone and married that stone to leather, and soon the stone whirled through the air and met the charging bear and killed the bear. Wow, this is a brave young man. Picked up the lamb and he ended up saying to the lamb, I am your shepherd and God is my shepherd. God was developing in his teenage years a divine giant killer. A giant killer guided by the divine one. God can do that in the life of a young person. He can develop him. But he's going to need some instructions. Did you see that from a dad? He's going to need a dad who will hold him to the place, son, you need to obey me right now. Son, this is your place now. Son, this is what I'm expecting from you. And it just doesn't apply to the young men. It applies to young ladies. God is interested in developing the young men and the young ladies of Canaan Baptist Church so that when they face their own personal giant, they can become a giant killer and not get killed by their personal giant. God wants that. Giant killers like David, you should look to get ridiculed. In verse 28, we see this, that his own brother said, you're just basically a kid. You're just a shepherd boy. You don't know how to fight. In a sense, the brothers were even saying this to him. You're just nothing but a dumb kid. Please note, if you're going to start to become and develop and to be a giant killer, young man, young lady, Notice this, you're always going to have someone who's going to be critical of you when you start to change and you start to develop into a giant killer. If you start to get serious for the things of God as a young person, even amongst the brethren here, you might find some people who will ridicule you. You might find some peers who say, yeah, sure, you're, you're just doing that for a point with your parents. But if you're doing it for God, that's all that matters. You might find some ridicule. David did from his own brother's. Not only do giant killers get ridiculed, but giant killers are courageous. Verse 32, let's look at it real quick. We'll see how courageous he was. And David says, and David said to Saul in verse 32, let no man's heart fail because, uh, uh, because of him. Thy servant will go and, and fight with the Philistine. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of, the, out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I, I caught him by his beard and, and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Imagine him saying this to Saul, seeing that he hath defied the armies of the living God. 
David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. Giant killers are courageous. Folks, he must have been afraid to face that size of a giant. Saw that big, ugly giant. But courage is going ahead and doing what you know to do, whether you're scared or not. You still go ahead and do it. Giant killers get ridiculed. Giant killers are courageous. And giant killers keep on going when cowards all around them quit. Giant killers keep on going on when all around them cowards are quitting. Look at verse 42. Verse 42 says, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, I am, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And, with the, Phil- and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said unto David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to, you, come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Wow. Yep. Picture this scene. The Philistine army is on one side of the valley and the Israelites are on the other side. David sees this giant. He's there doing exactly what his father told him to do. Bring some bread to your brethren. And he sees this giant of a man coming out and defying God. Just shaking his fist at at God's people, the Israelite army. And defying God to send him someone to fight. To David, Goliath is challenging David's God. David can't help but look at Goliath and say, he's challenging my God. This teenage boy, this teenager had a real relationship with God to the point that it moved him to do something that took a tremendous amount of courage. So what does David do? He runs down the hillside. He's got this slingshot in his hand. And what happens is this, we go through the scene. I I don't want to take much time for it because it's familiar to you, I know. David comes running down there and the giant sees him and And the giant actually gets mad at him. If you look at the verbiage here, he gets frustrated. He's saying stuff like this. You're just a kid. And this guy wanted to fight. Giants like to fight. They like to just wipe people out. And he has done it before. And he wanted to fight. He was trained. He was bred to fight and to kill opposing armies. In this anger, when he sees this Teenage boy coming running down, this ruddy, fair-complexioned young man, whatever age he was coming running down, with just a slingshot on his hand, the guy gets so mad that he ends up taking off his helmet and throws his helmet down and says, you know, this is ridiculous. This kid? David keeps running. And eventually he stops and he starts to assess the situation. He must have had this thought, where can I nail this guy with this rock? Where can I sling this stone? His kneecaps? No, he's, he's got leg protection on. His shins? No, his chest? He had a big coat of arms on. But remember, he just threw his helmet off. He just got so mad, the giant did, out of frustration, he just threw his helmet off. And there was his head, his big, ugly head completely unprotected now because he got in the next state of anger. And the giant is yelling, I'm paraphrasing this, you dumb kid, you dumb kid, you dumb kid. And then all of a sudden that dumb kid slings a stone and hits him right in the forehead. There must have been a thud, the speed that it must have been going into and knocks the giant over and kills him. We're told that the stone actually sunk into his forehead. He falls down. And David, a teenage boy, starts to celebrate. I, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to imitate what that looks like, but it probably would look like some teenage boy scoring a football touchdown in a football game, just jumping up and down. I don't know. A home run. And he starts to celebrate, dancing, probably yelling and looking. Look at this. And then he gets on top of the guy, gets on top of the giant, pulls out the giant's sword, and he cuts off his head. I'm sure that that was a big head, a big neck. I'm sure it wasn't just like this slice. He must have chopped at it. Now, I, in my mind, I won't imitate this, but there must have been some type of hacking at it, like a machete. I mean, honestly. And he's on top of his chest, and I don't know, he's, maybe he's still jumping, and maybe every time he jumped, blood squirted out. I don't know. But something like that must have happened. Hacking his head off. Head off. Hey, what, what a wild sight that must have been. Then he goes back up the hill with the head in his hand. His teenage boy. Giant killers also encourage others. They encourage others to do the same. They encourage others not to quit. When I look back at some of the younger ones behind me, a Noah Metzinger, a Joshua Hainline, and when I wonder, is this really still worth it? When I look back and I see some young men like them, I look back and you know what I get? Encouraged. Yep. Yep. I look at some of the young people here this evening and J.J. visiting his grandparents this evening. You know what I get? I get encouraged. When I see young people. Young people, let me just say it to you for, from all of us adults. You young people, encourage us. You know, when you do things right. When you do it for the Lord. When you surrendered. Especially when you can kill some giants. You, know, you encourage us. You encourage us not to quit. Encourage us because, young people, there's other young people watching you. Yep. Young adults, these high school kids are watching you. High school kids, there's junior hires watching you. Yep. Older parents, there's young parents here watching you. Watching how to raise your children. Watching how you have given your children or you have not given your children over to God. You can encourage each other. Some might say, if my friend's going to be that way and stand up for God, I'm going to do the same. So I'm here tonight, and I'm being very, very candid, and I'm going to be very gun barrel straight right now. Some of you here tonight, if you think about the different people we just read about, the different positions, the different players in the story, if you would, I'd ask you, where do you fall? Are you that one that discourages a young David? Are you that dad that gives your son some routine things to, and training him up? And would God somehow one day pick your son or your daughter to be a giant killer? Or are you here this evening and maybe you are facing your own private giant? Maybe it's a giant of lust. You just can't beat lust. Maybe it's a giant, a private giant of pride. Maybe it's a private giant of a love for ungodly music. Maybe it's a private giant and a love for worldly dress. Maybe a giant of drugs, alcohol, addiction to tobacco. Maybe you have an ongoing private giant of family problems year after year. Maybe you have a giant problem of Submitting to authority. You have never been able to conquer that. Tonight you can decide if you're going to be a giant killer or if you're going to let your giant kill you. Because if you think that you can go on through life with pride and it eventually not ruin you, you're mistaken because you will become a very bitter, bitter individual. If you think you can take care of lust and it just kind of works its way out of your body as you age, you are wrong. You will never feed your lustful habits unless you kill it. 
Tonight you get to decide. I'll be leaving uh, this state soon. I won't be here but another day. But you will have to face this question. Are you going to be a giant killer? Or will your giant kill you? Could you do it? So do you have what it takes? Do you have what it takes to be a giant killer? If you're saved and surrendered, I say yes. But you're going to have to be saved and surrendered to the working of God in your life. If you're saved and surrendered, you can be a giant killer. I think you could start the next stage of developing, as we see David developing, the process by just taking a small step tonight, just a small step tonight of committing the rest of your life to God. Yep. You, you, you might be a young person, a young lady. You might be, JJ, how old are you? 11. You might be an 11-year-old boy. You might be an 11-year-old girl. And if you could just tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm asking each and every one of you that would be in junior high and high school, I am asking you unashamedly, would you please consider would you please consider giving the rest of your long life to God Almighty? Would you surrender what you have left on this earth to God Almighty? Maybe you're even younger. And somebody might say, ah, don't, don't present to the younger ones. They don't understand. Oh, they do. They understand much more than we realize. No. Would you consider that young person? Well, I don't know if I want to surrender to ministry. I'm afraid of how it might not be a, a wonderful life. Well, can I ask you something? Do you think God would not be a blessing to you if you would surrender to him? I don't know if I could trust um, um, what, how I would be taken care of. I, I would want to trust in, the, in a company, a corporation. Boy, I could give you some examples of some people who have trusted in corporations way too much and lost everything. With God, you'll never lose. You know? Uh, is, is it a lot of fun being in ministry? I, I'm having fun. I'm, I'm a 60-year-old guy, and I feel like I'm on this eternal party, to be honest with you, serving God. Yeah. I used to work at the Kennedy Space Center. You might think that was fun. It was fun. I worked where, where I'd go out and watch every space shuttle take off, and I was so close that my tie would vibrate. I'm not kidding you. When the space shuttle would land, I would step out of my office and I would be able to take a short drive in the car to the landing strip and you'd watch the shuttle approach and come to the atmosphere and you hear the bang, bang, the sonic boom. And then all of a sudden, there's the shuttle just floating in. I've actually sat in the shuttle of the cockpit. I wasn't supposed to, but the guard and me and my buddy were friends and so they let me in. I sat in. That was really fun. But you know what's really fun? Serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, preaching's fun, yeah, but just serving him is fun. Serving him when I was at a small church in Titusville, Florida, just serving him, just working there with the youth, just serving God, that was fun. Yeah. Would you consider surrendering today, young people? Like David. He surrendered and God started to develop him into becoming a giant killer. Sometimes we make the mistake and think that it's only young people. Yeah. Well, ultimately, I didn't end up surrendering to full-time ministry until I was the age of 30. My father-in-law, who's 83, who just retired less than one year ago from the pastorate, surrendered at the age of 30. He was an iron worker. For, for all of those years, he would erect steel buildings, and then God touched him, put his hand on him, separated him out. So from the age of 30 to the age of 83, the man preached the gospel. God just doesn't call young people. I've seen people serving on staff before at churches where God would say, I want you to separate yourself. I want you to go off for training. And they go off for training. I've seen that happen. Yep. Probably 10 years ago, we had a man at the church that got led to the Lord by a Heartland student. And at the age of 74, he came to Heartland Baptist Bible College to get his Bible college degree. Yeah. We have men, probably, probably 8 to 12 men that have been in the military at Heartland Baptist Bible College that went through a full career of military training and then chose God's now calling me into ministry. You don't have to be just a young person. But I do want to look the young people in the face tonight. And I want to say this. If you're saved... I'm thrilled, but are you surrendered?
to what God wants you to do. He may call you into full-time ministry. He may not. You might say, I'm a little afraid of that. I know that. But don't be afraid of God's will. Be afraid of missing God's will for your life. So who can be a giant killer? Those that are saved and surrendered. Maybe here this evening, there's a mom and a dad who are right now here saying this, don't call my kid into ministry. I want better for my kid. If I was you, I would fear that thought in a high degree. Don't fear giving God back your children. May I remind you, he is the one that gave them to you to raise for him, not for you. You can find that in the Bible. And I stand here as a young, well, no, as a 60-year-old man. I can't say as a young man, but I can stand here before he's a 60-year-old man that says this. You know how one of the ways God used to call me into ministry? I had a praying mama. I got saved at 20 because a mama prayed through, as they would call it in the old days. She just never stopped praying for me to get saved. And she always prayed that God would call one of her sons or daughter into the ministry. So then for 10 more years, even, even into my career at the Kennedy Space Center, do you know who was still praying that I would surrender to ministry? Working at the Kennedy Space Center was a pretty good job in my neighborhood. It's one that I aspired for for a period of time. But do you know who was praying me out of the Kennedy Space Center? My mother. To surrender to ministry. My mother knew that the safest place for her baby son, that was me, I would say her favorite son. Amen? <laughs> That's what I say. My mom knew the safest place for Jeff was to be in the center of God's hands, doing what he wants. So parent, I plead to you, have you ever surrendered your children to God's will? Well, my kid is just, you know, five. You think it's too early? Or are you holding it back? Maybe one of the reasons that maybe that some children across the land aren't surrendered to God's will anymore to go into ministry is there's some parents that have been holding them back from that. I would challenge you tonight, parent, surrender your children over to God. Let God have them. He will, he will take care of them. He is God. Yeah. So I'll close with this. Are you going to be a giant killer? Can you really kill your giant? Or is it going to kill you? And I find this when it comes to surrendering, this being the one word that kind of umbrellas over everything. Fear. Fear. In the privacy of your own heart right now, are you battling fear about something? Right now, you're fearful. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you surrender that over to God and say, God, tonight, I'm going to surrender my fear about whatever the situation is over to you and let him take care of it. And you know what you'll do? You'll find him conquering your giant. I stand here before you, and I I will use this word again. I beg you. I'm pleading with you. Don't wait another day for that giant to present itself in your life. If you mess around with this too long, you could eat. You could regret this for a long time. And for your dads here tonight, one more time with you. Your children, listen to me, are watching you right now. Your grandkids are here. I know there's enough generations here in this church to say this without any reservation. Your grandchildren are watching you right now decide about how you'll respond to a message 
on surrendering to God. Now, I'm not trying to confront you artificially, but I'm saying that's what's happening right now. All of these young people are watching you, Dad, on how you respond to a message on surrendering. And I'd say, well, I've done it before. I have. I do it on a regular basis. Do you know what I worry about, if I can use that word? About me maybe taking away back some of the surrender. And I fight this same thing that I talked about this morning, to have control. Where I just want to take the hands off and let God steer it. Has God been speaking to you tonight? Maybe he spoke to you this morning. Maybe in the ladies' session. And you thought it was good and funny and you learned something. But did God speak to you this morning, lady? The question is this. Did you speak back to him? Did you respond when God spoke to you this morning? And for the men, what a great Father's Day gift you could give your family this evening by just being surrendered to God's will in your life. If you are saved and you're surrendered, you have the making of being a giant killer. And I would recommend that each of us take a step of making a commitment just to being surrendered for the rest of the days we have ahead. And let's be honest, we don't know how many days we have. Your opportunity to impact your family and the generation of this church, the next generation of this church, is not an unlimited amount of opportunity. You only have a determined amount of time. It's already set in place. God already knows when you're going to die and where you're going to be. It's set. He's already determined it. Acts chapter 17. You might think, I got a long time to influence my kids. No, you don't know how long you have. Just stand your heads bowed and